What difference does it make when First Nations women birth on country? When babies are born on country, they are connected to that country for their entire life. It actually empowers the mother as well to know that she's surrounded by her ancestors and her family and her kinship systems and her support network. It's, it's a place of safety for the woman and her family. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking about the ancient practice of birthing on country. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. When it comes to ancient wisdom in birthing, you can't get more distinguished than a 60,000-year-old culture. First Nations women have been birthing on country and passing on their wisdom and stories long before Western medicine became involved. And it could be argued that in many cases, Western intervention made birthing experiences worse for First Nations women. Melanie Briggs is a midwife at Waminda, a centre that supports birthing on country. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Now, you've been instrumental in setting up Waminda. When did you first become involved in this work? Well, uh, I started working at Waminda in 2016, so six years ago, and Birthing on Country was then part of a National Health and Medical Research Grant through the um, Queensland University. And um, Professor Juanita Sherwood approached us and asked if we would like to be a regional site for the national project and we said absolutely. And so, yeah, that, that's where it all started for the project, for the research. But in terms of when Waminda started, it's been, it's been Waminda's vision since its birth uh, 38 years ago. Our elders, our black matriarch women, have needed a service that is protective of our First Nations women and our children. For Waminda, it's been a long time, but on the research project, it's been six years. And have you got any results from those six years that you can show the difference this this kind of program has made? Well, there is an absolute massive difference. You know, our women are supported by, you know, myself and Carly and, and and our team, Tali and Jess, and also our clinical team, you know, and our team is actually supported by a service of strong Aboriginal women and non-Aboriginal staff as well. So when you look at, you know, providing midwifery care, we need support as midwives to be able to provide the best possible care for our women um, to ensure that the women are receiving, you know, that wraparound holistic support. And it's been amazing to see the program, the Minga Gujaga, which is mother and baby, the program grow it's been we've been providing you know antenatal and, and postnatal care for a long time uh, before I started actually it's probably around nine years now but seeing the the changes in you know birth outcomes you know preterm birth birth weight of our babies you know and the the amount of women that that want to come in and engage and they just want to come in and have a cuppa and have a yarn and and it's like it's a different way of providing services, you know, like you, you come in and you, the women just want to be here and it's so nice. So I think having a, having a very safe and, you know, open space for the women and hold that space for them, it's sort of like why wouldn't you want to come in and, and you know, just 
I think those outcomes in itself and, and just having women want to be around and just have a yarn is, is improvement. And what exactly does it mean birthing on country? I mean, I've got visions of um, sacred places in the land where women have birthed for years and years, but is it actually about being on land when they give birth or what? what is it? Well, if you think about our lands in which we are now, it's it's all of our land. It's been stolen and it's been taken. So wherever we birth, we are birthing on our country. But in terms of this model of care, it's about enabling a service to be provided in community where the women are. So rather than, you know, for women who live in remote and very remote communities, they're needing to fly out at 36 and, you know, 35 weeks to have their babies in a tertiary level centre where English is that woman's seventh or eighth language and, you know, it would feel like she's in another country in her own country. So, you know, providing care in her community is where it needs to be and where it needs to be at. So birthing on country is about receiving care in the place where you have your support systems and your family and your children with you and being cared for by an Aboriginal midwife from your community in a service that is governed and owned by Indigenous people. It's about providing the service where the women are and the service needs to be, you know, a wraparound service like Waminda. Yeah, so birthing on country... I've actually had this conversation with a few other people where they think that it's birthing under a tree. Well, you know what, birthing on country might be birthing under a tree for some women, but not all women think of it that way. You know, we provide maternity care and birth care in a hospital setting because, we know, colonisation has led to chronic disease and illness in our, in our people and a lot of our people are, are needing to birth inside a hospital system because they are unwell. So we're able to provide the services in the hospital, so go with the women. And then, you know, at Waminda, we're, we're in this phase one now where we've just visited some birth centres in Canada uh, where, you know, the first ever birth centre in Canada was an Indigenous-led midwifery birth centre. Like it was, it's absolutely amazing. And now they've, there's over 20. Um, so it's like we are at that point now where we have to provide these services for our women. Otherwise, we'll continue to have poorer outcomes um, so a birth centre birth is also part of our phase one. So phase one is providing birth care in the hospital and then rolling it out to a birth centre, um, which is, you know, at the end of that it's it's phase two and then, you know, eventually it'll be we'll have women well enough to be able to birth at home as well. So you know, having that home birth support eventually, maybe not straight away, but... Is that what happens, Mel, when you need to support women in remote and regional areas where they don't have that um, hospital or medical support, is that also something that happens when you're um, going out to help women out there? Yeah, look, we don't offer home birth because, you know, we, we're not doing, we're not at that stage yet. If women were, so let's just say we're not offering home birth. That's not on the cards at the moment. We're, we're offering antenatal and postnatal care in the community, in the mum's home, and then providing intrapartum birth support at the hospital. So that's where we are at the moment. And then it'll turn into where we will be the primary midwife at the hospital, where we will be admitting the women under our provider number, similar to a 
how the private obstetricians admit their own women. So it'll be a similar process where we will be admitting our own women and we'll be the primary midwife at the birth and then we'll see them at home after they have their baby. And that'll be for all women at this stage of our model. And then once once we've built our birth centre, we would have built a beautiful relationship with the, the hospital and be able to know all the processes so that when we are in the birth centre and we have to transfer out, we'll, we'll have a good relationship and we'll be able to you know, do that transfer of care really easily. And then from the birth centre, you know, we'll, we'll be able to look at providing home birth then. But as it is now, we're not at that, at that stage, so we don't do home birth. Could you tell me, um, without naming names, but um, are you able to describe a recent experience you've had with a woman so that we can get a sense of what it's like to go through the Women to Centre? I guess one of my mums, or my, they're all my mums and my babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I shouldn't say that, but they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I, I'm from community, so I know a lot of the, a lot of the mums that come through and having an understanding of the families and, you know, just knowing how that's impacting a mum's emotional health. And then, you know, when, when our mums are, are emotionally impacted, then their physical well-being sort of is in, impacted as well. So, you know, I know that one of the mums was holding a lot when she was pregnant and we went out on country and had a, had a beautiful morning, you know, like it was, it was such a beautiful morning and we, we just held, I just held the space for her just to offload and, and just give her time to sort of process what it was that, how that was actually affecting her. You could just see that once we'd finished the ceremony, it was sort of this instant, it was instant relief. You could just see it, the way she was carrying, the way her, her, her face changed, her body had changed and she was due, like she was due when we went and done this and, and she said, I'm, I'm scared. Like before we went out, she goes, I'm scared. I just, I don't want to have this baby. Like it was, it was very hard for her to get into the, to the emotional zone of being ready. So I think it was going out and doing this was part of her cleansing and her healing. And she, once she did that, she, she messaged me, like this is this really happened. Like the next day, she's like, "Yeah, I, th- I think I've broken my waters and I'm, I'm having some partners." I'm like, "Great!" So, you know, this is it's all that if our women are emotionally holding it in, it's going to stop them. And I think we, you know, we have to hold that space for the women to be able to just let it go and just be free to to say and feel and do whatever they need to do to have a healthy, beautiful birth. And she did, and she still comes and sees me now and babies beyond the six-week postpartum, like, you know, he's 10 months old and it's like still texts and still calls and still, you know, like it's like it's not I'm not just a midwife. Yeah, (laughs) you're there for the long haul. Yeah, it's like you're an auntie and you're just sort of you're supporting our mums to have beautiful, healthy relationships with themselves and their children. I think you just touched on what postpartum care can look like, um, but could you talk to me a little bit more about what you do with the women once they've had their babies? Well, we, we encourage the mums to 
keep the placentas. So we have a ceremony where our mums can take their placentas and bury them or, or do whatever it is that they would like to do, actually. We don't say you just have to bury it. It's basically whatever whatever she would like to do with it. And then we go out and visit the mums every second day for the first, you know, week or, you know, it just depends. The care, the postpartum care depends on what the mum wants and what the mum needs. A while back, um, I interviewed a uh, Darug woman who had written a book called Baby Business, named Jasmine Seymour, which was all about a baby smoking ceremony. And it was so interesting talking to her. She spoke about the types of of things that were burnt in the smoking ceremony and how it could have certain allowed women to lactate or the it was just incredible. Mm. And I'm just wondering, are there any rituals or ceremonies? or ancient wisdom and practices that you've been able to bring into the work that you do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's only Aboriginal women who practice ceremony and we we do the pre-pregnancy ceremony, which is what I just spoke about with that mum. Um, so we, we get in really intense and we do some beautiful singing and, and talking and it's a cleansing ceremony. So we, we use a few different medicines in that ceremony. And then in labour, we use a spray because we're not allowed to smudge or do anything like that in hospital settings. So we, we use a spray that cleanses the room. And we, we're salt water women too, so we were on the East Coast and and we, we incorporate salt water as much as we can, whether you swim in it or whether you bathe in it or whether you cleanse yourself with ochre or whatever it is that, that it is that the women want to do, we, we use salt water. And then uh, there's, there's our babies we call it Minga Gujaga Bunan which is our mother and baby ceremony which is usually at the beginning of spring it's the season from cold to warm weather it's the change of flowers it's the pretty much when you can jump in the ocean which is salt water we always go back to the water we do our ceremony usually around that time of the year and that's about cleansing rebirthing mother it's all about our connection to the mother earth and you know our spirits and our ancestors and you know we've been gifted a beautiful child from the spirit world it's a celebration of being becoming and belonging and connecting so it's it's really um something that we take very much we take it very seriously and we pride ourselves on our culture at Laminda and our practices and we do language as well so we do that we do our language with our mums and our bubs because we we weren't allowed to speak language and language is powerful and if we're not speaking our language then we're disempowered. It sounds like such a incredibly powerful and nurturing way to start Mm. your experience into motherhood. Mm. I can imagine there would be a lot of demand for your services. Is are you finding that a lot of women want to birth this way? They do. They come to this program wanting wanting to practice culture and they want to be cleansed and they want to heal and they want to be on a beautiful, healthy, well journey. It's a pretty big responsibility to practice as an Aboriginal midwife as well as doing clinical uh, work. That's for yeah. myself because, like I said, our non-Indigenous midwives can't practice culture but they're a part of it. So when we practice ceremony, they're, they're always there standing side by side or, or behind like it's amazing and and the women just love it our ceremonies every year are, are 
pretty big. (laughs) 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 It's a a beautiful day and the women love coming and and the aunties come and the elders and our elders come and they just love babies. We all just love babies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you don't love babies, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) I think it sounds absolutely incredible and um, I'd love to chat to you again once you have had time to percolate all those thoughts and feelings and um, everything you've learned from your trip to Canada. So I'd Mm. love to have you on the show again. Yeah, thank you so much. I would love to share all of those beautiful learnings that we had over there. It was just amazing. Like, Because over there, it's they've just come out of their winter. So it's like cold and dark for months, you know, minus 30 degrees. And then we went over at summer solstice. So they've just come out and the powwows by the Indigenous people over there is just, it moves your heart. Your heart beats with the drum and when they sing, it's just it gives you goosebumps and goes right through you. So it's sort of like... We went over at the perfect time, a cleansing time, a renewal time, the Indigenous Birth Centre over there and just learning. I just love learning. It's amazing. Well, I think everyone's very lucky that you are doing that learning. Um, Melanie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Swan. That's Melanie Briggs. She's a First Nations midwife at Waminda. And for more information on the work that Melanie does, check out the notes in this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.